0: In Hell, a look back at Saturday Night Live with your hosts Matt and Keith. Brought to you by Lion's Den Audio Theater. Like and subscribe to Lion's Den Audio Theater for more Lion's Den goodness. And here are your hosts Keith and Matt.
1: Saturday Night Live, season three, episode one, starring Steve Martin, originally aired on September 24th, 1977. My name is Keith. Hello. Did I say Season 3? Indeed, I did. It is Season 3 of Saturday Night Live, SNL, with me for the last two years, Uh, every time, my good buddy, Matt. Hello, Matt. Hi, Keith. Welcome to Season 3, my friend. And you. We made it. We made it, and we've got, um, you know, only 45 more to go if they stop right now. I mean, they should. Let us catch up. (laughs) And then restart when we're there. yeah. 20-some years. And uh, with us again, you might remember him from the Shelley Duvall episode or the Dick Cavett episode, and if you haven't joined us for either of those, he's great on both. Go back and take a listen. His name's Kevin. Hello, Kevin. Hey. How's things, my friend? Uh, things are pretty good. Season three. This is considered the uh, the, the gold standard of years by many. Um, what is your knowledge of the lore of season three, fellas? I mean, I don't know anything, but I made a face when you said that.
0: Uh, I I can see where that that's starting from uh, watching this episode, but uh, outside of I haven't really heard much about any lore in regards to season three.
1: Well, it's 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 kind of the year things are uh, bigger. Um, I've noticed already in the first few sketches of even the first few episodes, there's a lot of extras, which we didn't usually have there are certain opportunities starting to come about and uh, one in particular we'll start talking about in about 3 episodes a certain movie about college life but yeah there's a lot going on here Chevy is firmly gone Bill Murray has made a name for himself especially in the last few episodes of last season it's an interesting time and all pistons are allegedly firing this year i don't think they are okay well we'll see we'll see as we go and and again you and i have not been as agog we've certainly appreciated the show but we haven't been Blown away, quite the way uh, I thought, or the, quite the way the lore says we should be. People think we hate the show and each other. Yes, I know. Uh, we met. I met a gentleman the other night who said that. thought we hated one another. Craziness. It's just strong opinions. That's all it is. Strong, yeah. strong opinions. And again, I'll, I'll say Matt and I originally talked a lot about politics. We had different views, and when you're arguing about such things as You know, death penalties and stuff. Suddenly, a a Baba Wawa sketch, which we both agree on. Let me pick something else. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) Suddenly, something uh, you know, a a, a Lorraine Newman Fritzie Kringle sketch, which occurred in season one, which may have been our most, as far as sketches go, we may have been most polarized by that one. Um, Which do you even remember that one, Matt?
2: Nope, so I'm assuming I'm the one that didn't like it. And Yeah, you
1: did not like it. I recognize weakness, but gave her an A for effort. September 24th, 1977, Steve Martin's hosting, uh, iconic host who we will see many, many times over the years. At this point in time, Steve Martin is selling out stadiums and arenas with his stand-up comedy, and his most recent release was his album Let's Get Small that came out earlier the year, earlier in '77. That album, that comedy album, went platinum and got him a Grammy in 1978. Comedy album going platinum. Has that happened in our lifetime? Probably. But
2: I don't give a shit about comedy albums. Comedy is, it's, nobody, does anybody anymore? It's all about the Netflix specials now.
1: I think it's a dead medium and that's what i'm sort of saying i think it has kind of it's never been as big as it was in the the, the late 60s mid 70s that period
2: sure and yeah and like people still do them don't get me wrong there's like you know there's the best grammys for best not that i mean hmm. this show could win a grammy
1: but <laughs> I'm not saying. we've already got six <laughs>
2: you know, people get, you know, being around the local comedy scene, you know, the comedians still get uh, hot for the Juno comedy award category. And uh, I don't really see the big deal. And maybe this is why none of them care for me too much. But that's
0: neither. Here nor there. <laughs> I still think comedy albums are are important. But the concept of an album is even different now with uh, streaming services like Spotify and so forth. Like you could just to be honest, I can make a comedy album in my basement and just put it on YouTube and get some traction from it.
1: The only album I remember having like kind of a mass appeal, the only comedy album in my life. And I mean, I, I've bought a few. I bought a couple of Dave Chappelle's, a couple of uh, Jim Gaffigan's, a couple of Chris Rock's um, and some of George Carlin's later pieces. But the only one I remember people just sort of picking up and loving and telling people about is the uh, one of the Jerky Boys ones that came out.
2: Oh, I was just going to ask think. if that counts. I would think so. I think it kind of counts. It's hilarious. That's a funny comedy album.
1: Yeah, I think there were two big ones, but one in particular was like, oh, you got to hear this comedy album. And that's really the only time I've ever remember, you know, hearing about a contemporary album that people were really talking about.
0: I'm pretty sure that counts as a comedy album. And yeah, I also had that. I also had that tricky voice. I absolutely loved not it. Not
2: to go like off topic or anything, but I think there's also like there's albums that are not like quote unquote like Bruce McCullough's album. Is that a comedy hmm. album? Because it's fucking hilarious, but it's also quite musical. Yeah, and you know it's got some like almost like '90s indie rock sounds in it, and it's a hmm. lot of fun. But it's still obviously a comedy album. I guess that's the same concept as. Uh, as uh, a uh, Lonely Island uh, business, which is also yeah. comedy. Oh, absolutely. Music uh, as well. They count as comedy albums. See, when I hear, I have, I think I flip into a default where when I hear comedy album, I just hear, audio stand-up performance and mm-hmm. that turns me off immediately i don't want to yeah. listen to a stand-up act uh, i want i'd like to see one and, and i think that's probably you know that's why it's evolved into you know the hbo special the netflix special etc um but i don't know i don't, I don't yeah. personally find any interest in listening to uh stand-up i'd rather mm-hmm. see it because you know the, the comedian sells it a lot anyway not to say the jokes aren't clever but i digress uh, so I, I was initially restricting myself with the concept. But then I remember Bruce McCullough's album and when he sings uh, The Doors. Remember The Doors? Be a Doors fan. Uh, that's a good one. Anyway.
1: I don't know. I, I don't. It's certainly not the market it once was. So uh, what's happened over the summer? Well, cast and crew, there's not been really any significant change. Uh, Neil Levy, who was production assistant and has appeared in a number of sketch sketches, has been uh, hired as a writer. Al Franken and Tom Davis taken on roles as featured players, so they're not full on cast members, um, but uh, they will appear. They'll be featured, if you will, um, as the team of Franken and Davis. So nowadays, like you have the featured player, and it's it's sort of a rite of passage you have to do. But at this point and going forward for a little bit, people will be sort of dropped in as featured players for um, a season or two to see how they like it or some people would be just be hired right off the street but uh you know now it's gotten a bit more formulaic i think you have to do two seasons as a featured player before they'll promote you to the main cast now we've seen some from franken and davis without going into what we see tonight uh, does that make sense to you fellows? sure yeah that makes sense so let's go into the host steve martin is back it's his third hosting gig um, and he mentions that he had released uh, Getting Small. And like I said, his touring standup career was going through the roof. He was selling out multi tens of thousand arenas. Highly recommend his book Born Standing Up, which goes into quite a bit of this. Um, so Steve Martin, happy to see
0: him back, fellas. I love Steve Martin. I really do. Also, the book Born Standing Up, I, I'm currently st- staring at it in my on my bookshelf right now. Um, it's not my book. It's actually, I believe this belongs to one of the many guests you have on here. And his name is Mark. He's not getting it back once he comes here to get it. I was very excited to see him as the host.
2: Yeah, not me. And I get it. You know, it's, it's, I have to try to contextualize myself in the time where he is selling out these big shows. He's like a a rock star in comedy right now. You want the hot act for the season premiere. Uh, so I have to understand it in that regard. And I do understand it. It's good booking. Uh, but personally, I'm like, eh, all right, this guy again, it's, it's fine. Steve Martin's funny. Uh, I, I'm I'm placated, but I'm not excited.
1: And sadly, Steve Martin announced this past summer that his current role on Only Murders in the Building is probably going to be his last acting role.
0: I uh, I had not heard that, nor have I seen that. Uh, my wife's a big fan of. Uh, Only Murders in the Building. I've caught a a little bit of it. Um, I enjoy it, but I'm mostly watching it for Martin Short, to be honest, as much as I like Steve Martin.
2: Oh, I love Martin Short. Yeah, I'm more of a Martin Short guy than a Steve Martin guy.
0: Oh, well, then I I would highly recommend when you get a chance to sit down and watch uh, Only Murders in the Building. I'll bump
2: it up the list. I'm one of the few people that will still defend Jiminy Glick.
1: Our musical guest tonight is Jackson Brown. Matt, uh, you weren't overly excited to hear that Jackson Brown was coming to join us tonight. I'm running on empty. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he was excited though Kevin to hear that you were joining
0: him. well he's not going to be excited to find out that I actually slightly enjoy Jackson Brown and
1: oh great also my, my father-in-law just
0: recently saw him and James Taylor in concert back in May Ooh. um was he able to tell them apart
1: <laughs> <laughs> Matt Whoa. was gonna say what crime did he <laughs> commit I thought <laughs> Uh, both would have So worked. let's go to the cold open. It's an oval office, and this is a, a shaven Dan Aykroyd as Jimmy Carter with John Belushi playing um, Burt Lance. It was a friend of Carter's that he had appointed to be the director of the Office of Management and the Budget. Lance was accused of financial impropriety from a previous job and resigned from office. In the sketch, Carter is sad that his corrupt friend is going to be resigning. This turns into a commercial for the National Express card, which is a parody of the American Express, and this, these were the type of things where you could use your card as identification as well. For me, this is a solid short sketch. It's very topical, which I don't always see as a negative, even though we don't necessarily get it. And we do get to see Jimmy Carter. It is the political bit out of the way at the beginning. But this is not the ambitious cold open I would like for a season premiere. Now, to put that in perspective, I don't know to what extent shows did big like opens and finales the way they do right now. Certainly in the 80s and looking back on 80s stuff, you, you can't tell a season finale from a uh, from a season opener from a sweeps week. But just to put it in in further context, last year's cold opening was the thing where Lily Tomlin arrived in the limousine. So this was a little underwhelming for me. The only two things worth noting are Burt Lance is uh, allegedly the person who invented the phrase, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And this is Dan Aykroyd's first solo live from New York at Saturday night. First of all, Keith, excellent introduction with the cold open.
2: Uh, you, you had me sitting here thinking like, you know, it's really interesting to think about how because te- television was so different then. So crazy different where you're right. And in a way that because there is no other access to to this visual media rather than make the spectacle i think sometimes it was almost preferred that it all kind of blend together uh so it's more of a homogenous experience i don't know that that's true of course i didn't work in network television in 1977 uh this sketch uh, wasn't funny and i thought you know, it took me a second with Dan and the mustache. I really don't think this is a very good Carter from him either. He's done Carter better. He He's missing an edge that he brought to Carter previously. I question whether this was funny at the time. I mean, I guess the audience seemed to enjoy
0: it. Comparing it to what we see later in the show, it feels like maybe this was more of an afterthought. Um, I have very limited knowledge of history because I'm a millennial. Commercial parodies are easy rights. If you can get it to kind of tie into something, make a quick joke and throw it on there, you know, it it can work. Uh, this obviously did not. I didn't really find it too, too funny. Uh, yeah, it's kind of like a, a weak opening. Um, it makes me wonder, numbers wise, um, did they even think they're going to get a season three? So maybe they didn't think they need to have such a big, flashy opening uh, sketch to start the show
2: i would uh if i may address that uh i think they know they're getting a season three well, after they came back from the mardi gras special they know that they're a sensation this show is a sensation it has made a star out of chevy chase who has become too big for it and left uh like keith mentioned uh and I, I didn't finish my point from before but they know damn well what they're doing because. He, keith is right they rolled up lily tomlin in a limo it was a grand entrance uh and this year uh they are just kind of rolling it out with uh more of a i don't want to use the word classic but cliche yeah i'll use cliche cold open uh with, with the hot issue but they know
1: how to do a season premiere if they want to yeah i think we're all on the same page there um I don't think there's there's much uh, much difference there. So uh, we now go to uh, it's a new intro where we have uh, a scoreboard images of the cast and then their faces are superimposed as if they're floating through space. Kind of gives me a Doctor Who vibe. Not big on this intro at all. It doesn't last very long. You're You're a big time network TV show. Who did you hire?
2: Awful uh and yeah the the awkwardness of the the cast members when they floated. I hated it bad, bad shit.
0: it was just weird. It'd show their name, it'd show the picture, and then it would show like this creepy ghost like figure like you know um it was like an immemorium for the cast, like they all passed away. It was very strange. I did not like it. I mean, they're, um,
2: they're trying. They want to be a, you know, they're, they're they're a big deal show now. So I get that, you know, they're out there, you know, just despite me being flip about it, they're out there trying new things because they're a big hot network show and they want to look like a big hot network show. That's why they got all these lasers and digital lights and video effects. And, you know, I, to be honest, I, I want to retract my, my, my comment because I do appreciate the effort and it seems pretty obvious by the faces on the not ready for primetime players that they're like, fuck this. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. And this is relatively short lived um, I, I, in the original airings. I think it went three episodes, but uh, in the uh, reruns that are available in the, the, the packages to watch, which is what I'm u- using, um, they only last this one episode. Really? We won't see it again even? Not not this one. Not this sort of Pac-Man meets Marley's ghost type thing, no. <laughs> you know, again,
2: when I say I appreciate the ambition, I really do, and those I those I'm a sucker for these weird late seventies video effects.
1: Yeah, and I know? didn't know because I know you are, and I didn't know how you would land on this one, but but you
2: know what? You know what could have made it better? And I lay the blame for this, actually. I'm changing. I'm almost doing a 180 here. This is the fault of the not ready for primetime players. They could have sold this better. They were visibly
1: miserable. But did they visibly. Did they know? You know what I mean? Like, okay, here's stand in front of a camera for the new opening. You know what I mean? Like, did they know yeah. what the hell it was going to be? I
2: guess probably not. I would assume they're just like rolled out like, hey, go fucking do this by... You know, they're they're Jack Donaghy or Lorne Michaels. And uh, and yeah, they probably just go do their shit and then get back to their day.
1: It's also, too, there's a nice continuity with like the pictures around New York that started with Edie Baskin's early pictures and goes right through to today. And there's a few little bumps in the road where they stray from that. Um, and not just pictures, but maybe like I know the early 90s one I was always a fan of where it has him at various hot spots and running up and down subways. And you know what I mean? Stuff like that. Um, it kind of breaks from the continuity of what we're used to. Steve Martin comes out for his monologue. He starts by repeating the uh, opening few lines of uh, Mac the Knife. And then he does a good bit about how he avoids feeling homesick while on the road. Great bit about Farrah Fawcett holding up her poster with one hand. Um, And her never calling him back. And then a whole bunch of uh, puns about cats. I I liked this monologue a lot. Um, I think this is my favorite of the three Martin monologues we've seen so far. Um, It was definitely the most Martin-esque. And it also made me sort of watch this and say, if anyone else was doing this besides Steve Martin, I'd hate it. Um. So I I, I enjoyed this. Uh, I enjoyed
0: how he kind of just went from like one joke to the other. Um. Whether it hit or didn't, he he, he just didn't care. He was just kind of going up there and having a good time with it, which is what I like from a lot of the monologues that you'd see on like even current Saturday Night Live is when the the comedian gets to come up, they get to show their comedic voice, their few moments they get to kind of single themselves out from the rest of the cast. And then that's the kind of energy you hope they bring to the rest of the show, and it kind of gets you excited to see what they're going to be like as they kind of gel with the rest of the cast. Mind you, this is Steve Martin's third time there, so he's already gelled with most of the cast. But you know, for someone like me that hasn't seen a Steve Martin episode yet in our current continuity here, um, it's it's kind of it's very nice. Uh, no, yeah, I thought he bombed. He bombed,
2: and he knows he bombed, and I. He knows he bombed because when he finished, he's... Did you remember? You heard what he said. He's like, comedy's not pretty. He bombed, and he knows it. I can't believe you liked that Farrah Fawcett joke. I thought that was like the laziest, stupidest shit. This is B-grade stand-up comedy that they let him get away with because he's Steve Martin. I thought this monologue
1: sucked, and I'm shocked, shocked that you guys liked it. Tell you what I didn't like. They changed our set, Matt. They they changed that brick wall behind home base that I liked. It kind of looks like an open... now or a loft yeah i I didn't like it either it looks weird and stupid so we now go to our first commercial um in in some versions these two uh commercials that we see tonight are actually reversed so this one is the royal deluxe 2 it's a uh it's a compact or it's a luxury car that rides so smooth that a rabbi is able to circumcise a baby during a ride on a bumpy road thought dan was excellent in this the rabbi who i wasn't able to uh Identify was awesome garrett was really funny this is a really strong commercial parody it's also one i remember from the old retro specials um really enjoyed this had a great laugh <laughs> at this this is a parody of car commercials right up until fairly recently so uh hats off to this one loved it
2: yeah i thought it was okay too i mean i i didn't uh i didn't think it was among their top tier commercials they have uh, you know, two handfuls of commercials that are better than this.
0: No, I, I laughed. I laughed a lot at this commercial. I will, I will admit that it was, uh, I thought it was very funny. Uh, I didn't know where they're going with it when the, you know, the car, car first comes out when they're going through the process of explaining a car. And I was like, where is this car commercial going to go? And then it goes into the uh, circumcision inside the back seat. Um I was laughing quite hard. Um, I thought it was quite funny. I really enjoyed it. It gave me quite the tickle.
1: Beautiful ride and a beautiful baby. Good job. <laughs> I liked it. We now go to the uh, Festruck brothers. Now, these guys go on to become uh, crazy popular characters. Uh, it's 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 an amalgam of a couple things that were going on here. So Steve had his thing where he was always doing wild and crazy guy. Dan Aykroyd was working on a character who was a, a recent immigrant from like an Eastern Bloc country who was struggling with both dating and English. They paired up and they teamed up with Marilyn Miller to create Yortuk and Georg Festruck, two uh, Czechoslovakian brothers who are looking for a good time in America. In this sketch, Jane and Gilda are playing ping pong. I think it's the basement of an apartment building. And they're approached by the brothers, Georg and Yortuk, who are interested in them and say things like your um, your tight American blue jeans make us think having sex. So they're hitting on these women trying to get them to date or beyond that, actually. To me, this was really funny. I know these characters. They still have a ways to go. This is still very, very good uh, as far as characters sort of coming out of the box. Uh, it's not certainly not cone heads, but they're well on their way. Um, I enjoyed this. I thought everyone did really well. Dan is definitely carrying the sketch, though. Um, Steve is not up to what Dan is doing, but he's also doing what he does very well. Love the way they play ping pong.
0: I liked it, but my one note for it is going to be it's too long. It went on a little bit longer than it should. Like, I I enjoyed, you know, how the characters played against each other. I thought Steve Martin was kind of all over the place. It was um, an interesting premise. It got a couple of laughs for me, especially how they played ping pong, like the the one shot. Um, But it just it felt like it went on forever. Kind of middle of the road for me.
2: I was excited when I realized what it was, but uh, pretty rough first outing. Uh, first of all, Steve Martin. I yeah, I just I thought you guys are a little uh, kinder on him than me. I just did not think he was comfortable. He was not good in this sketch. He's still trying to figure out the voice, and his body language and mannerisms are wretched. And Dan is carrying the whole thing. Uh, Kilda and Jane could have been anyone. I didn't think they added anything. They're just they might as well be you know Michael Myers victims in Halloween 4.
1: We often talk about will this air today? Are these guys so ridiculous that it could air today or is this too too threatening?
2: No. Ab- this does not get aired today. Absolutely not. They treat women like objects. They are extremely disrespectful and it's not
0: funny enough. To pull
1: it off. See, I think this could slip past. I think this could definitely air today. No, no, okay.
0: I, I don't think so. I don't think it would. No, I don't think it would get any airtime, to be honest. Not with kind of the way television is today. Maybe late, late at night. You know, like like yeah, yeah. the blue new times, <laughs> but not. But but like not on today's. You know, you wouldn't be able to see that like prime time, even at like ten o'clock. It just.
2: I'm yeah. a forty three year old white man, and I'm concerned, so this doesn't This doesn't make it past these
1: several tiers of more concerned people that are uh, above me. We now have an audience, Chiron. This person is faking it, but at least trying. Congratulations, uh, young lady. You have the uh, first Chiron of season three. We now go to Jackson Brown running on empty. So he is a former member of the nitty gritty dirt band. He was actually replaced by John McEwen, who uh, was the person that taught Steve Martin how to play the banjo. So there is a connection here. Brown's latest album uh, was released a year before and uh, it was called the pretender and his newest album running on empty was due for a release in December of 77. So he sings running on empty tonight. It peaked at number 11. I like the song. I really like the band. It's the uh, section is the band. Uh, and I like Brown's voice. Uh, I just, I don't see anything unique here. I know the song. I like the song and he, you know, it was a solid job, but of course it was, it was his song that he always does probably everywhere at that point in time.
0: It's a good song. He's not a bad musician. Um, you know, I, you know, it's, it's nice to see a band that I know playing on one of these episodes of Old Saturday Night Live, uh, but at the same time, I don't think it kind of gels well with what we're watching here either. It's still not something you'd want to have playing accompanying a uh, you know an ensemble comedy show. Um, it just seems like I'm watching you know a a, a VH1 in studio. You know, we're going to have a, a very kind and lazy interview with them shortly afterwards. Not, we're going to go to a sketch about god only knows what so it's it's just i don't know it's um i don't want to use the word muted but that's all i can think about when i look at it uh is muted muted is the best term i can give to it
2: this man has the worst haircut i've seen possibly ever jackson brown is the kind of artist that mtv is about to come and destroy and it cannot come soon enough christopher cross look out. Uh, Running on Empty is the kind of song that I want to hear when I'm like 24 and I'm smoking a joint with my buddy in the parking lot of a supermarket and we're listening to nostalgic rock radio and Running on Empty comes on
1: and we groove on it, but I don't go home and listen to it. So from uh, from this, we're going to something else that I think might be a little controversial or at least negative. Um, We're going to go to Weekend Update. And so we get a long shot of a new set. It's a a big blue screen, basically Weekend Update set. And instead of having just a lone anchor, there is now a team who are standing around the desk. So Jane is still anchoring, but she's co-anchoring with Dan Aykroyd now. What's up here? So it's been hard to find out why Ackroyd was added to uh, to Weekend Update. Some have said that people never really took to Jane, as she was the second after Chevy. I believe that's probably part of it. A lot of changes to this format. A few good jokes. A lot of really awkward bits. Belushi was my favorite, buying drugs from children in Mexico. Um, and Lorraine was pretty good. Garrett started good, but uh, uh, I, I'm, I'm not liking this, and... To use a phrase coined by Belushi's character from the first sketch, The Cold Open, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And they done tried to fix it.
0: Yeah, I don't know why they added a whole whole team. I guess they wanted to try and be like, um, because this is around the time where you'd have like news teams that were kind of getting larger. I, I recently just watched a whole thing about how action news became such a huge thing, like in the late 70s, early 80s, into the 90s, because they're reporting on crimes. Uh, The thing I liked about even newer weekend update as we go further on in different seasons is it's normally just, you know, one individual who has a really good high class personality. And I, I, you know, I thought Jane Curtin was fantastic for that. Why they added Dan Aykroyd? I don't know. He seems kind of like he doesn't want to be there. Lorraine's bit I thought was quite funny. I enjoyed it a little bit. Garrett. Yeah. If we're going to talk about segments that would not air today. That entire segment would not air today. The Tokyo jokes and all of that was just... Even for then, I thought that was a bit in, in, in poor taste. I couldn't get behind the the movie review. And I agree with you, Belushi was probably the best part of this whole process. Absolutely funny. Loved this whole thing. I was wondering where it was going to go with the, the selection. And I was not disappointed with the answer for that. And I just I expected a bit more, especially considering like most of the episodes I've seen where Dan Aykroyd had a lot of, had a lot of scenes and a lot of sketches. You know, he's normally like on par. He's, he's really good. And he just seemed like, you know, I'm here for this sketch until I go to the next sketch that I really want to do.
1: Matthew, you were Jane's big champion last year. You can't be happy, bud. No, man. She, she's neutered. It's so fucked up. She's not even the same
2: character. She's not being the anchor that we knew and loved in season two. Uh, It feels like a neutered version of it. She's just like bland ass Jane Curtin straight woman. Uh, And to the best of my understanding, which is little, but I'm sure I read that Dan Aykroyd actually did not want to be there.
1: He didn't want it. Yeah. I mean, it shows.
2: And because he, he doesn't look like he's having a good time. Jane, nobody looks like they're having a good time except... You know, I'm sure Gareth Gareth's fucking happy to get airtime. So he'll, but I mean, you know, a shame he didn't have any jokes. What a stinker of a segment. I know Bill is trying really hard, but man, that did not work. Uh, you know, the deep was a boring movie and that was a boring little segment. And yeah, I mean, Lorraine was fine. I barely even, I watched this like right before we're recording. and I barely fucking remember Lorraine. So, you know, the, I want one of those Mao snow globes. But I mean, she could have yeah. been anybody. These people could have been anybody except for Belushi, who, again, he he did his Belushi shtick because, I mean, who else but John Belushi would be uh, getting all this weed and now he wants to go to get the cocaine in Colombia. Um, it's a little weird to joke about what will kill him. Uh, here we are laughing at jokes that will kill him later. The rest of the segment is a mess. Nobody's having a good time. They way overthought it. Kevin's right. It's probably just a reaction to what's going on with network news teams and shit at the time. I'd love to watch whatever you watched. Hated this is the worst weekend update I have ever seen. Worst.
1: You know, it is their first outing, but uh, let's see how this uh, how this goes because it's it's not what I like. When people say to me that they prefer Chevy over Jane, I just see it as a a difference in taste over who was better at the desk. But it's an easy comparison because what they were doing was so similar. This is so far different that uh, that I'm not liking it. (laughs) I'm uncomfortable by the changes. Jane must have been pissed, too. Imagine being uh, in that
2: position. She must have felt like she failed.
1: I don't know. Part of me thinks Jane, too, was just like, well, I know I still have update. I got something on the show, you know?
2: I mean, I guess that's a good point. She is still sure. a co-anchor. But, I mean, I, she just had so much. Like, her personality was removed. They, yeah. they removed her personality. She could have been anybody here.
1: We now go to a sketch that would definitely never air today. It's Mike McMack, defense lawyer. So Steve Martin plays Mike McMack, a defense lawyer who is badgering rape victim Gilda Radner um, and saying that she's an easy woman. He's presenting this in front of a jury. He calls into effect that she was uh, wearing a flannel nightie, which may have been inviting to a a predator, that she's been divorced and that she's had uh, sex 38 times, I believe, in the last five years. And then after grilling her on the stand, he tries to pick her up. She tells him no. He wonders if he's lost sight of all of all his ideals and then decides he didn't. This was too edgy. Especially with the casual throwing of the round, uh, throwing around of the word rape, which is really hard to hear. In in my opinion, I mean, even if they had done the exact same sketch with a couple of the other terms, it might have been easier to digest. This is uh, this was a terrible sketch. It really was. And there's other ways to make a a sinister lawyer funny. And uh, I didn't think this was it. A little thing I did notice, however, is we've got the first appearance of extra Andy Murphy. And this is the first of his over 120 appearances through 2005. He was one of the jurors. Also, the dad from the uh, Deluxe 2 commercial was in the jury box. His name, I forget, but somebody did send me a message. There's some connection they had with him. Either way, other than Andy Murphy, nothing in this that I particularly enjoyed. I just wonder if it was different material
0: uh, would it still like would it still work? I I just think it's it's just overall terrible. Um, you know, like you know, Steve Martin is just trying to be, you know, kinetic and energetic the way he normally is for a lot of like kind of these absurd characters, uh, but it's just. Would this still work if it was like a robbery would it still work if it was a murder like however you would change the type of crime the person being interviewed I don't think the sketch still works I don't think it does at all but no it's it's just it's just no like I was I watched this this episode with my wife and uh, mm-hmm. as soon as they started talking about like all of the uh Like as soon as the rape board starts getting thrown around, I just immediately looked at her and was like, there's no way this is going to be a comfortable sketch for me to watch right now. And even going back and watching it by myself today, um, I just felt uncomfortable. And, you know, I used to do really, you know, edgy humor when I was younger. Uh, And even then I would I would that version of me would still find this uncomfortable.
2: This is the worst sketch Saturday Night Live has done to this point. It's at the bottom. This is the worst. There has been nothing that has been less funny. There has been nothing that has been more insensitive. This is a misogynistic, slut-shaming piece of shit. Fuck Steve Martin for agreeing to go out there and being this fucking guy. It's, it's not... 1850. It's 1977. You are a big star and you have a voice. I don't care that it's 1977. You can sit here all day and tell me that we're all woke now. I was born in 1979. I'm not that far behind this. This is disgusting for the time. I'm not trying to be too woke about it, but goddamn, this is unacceptable comedy. It's not comedy. This is a bunch of fucking dudes in a writer's room getting their jollies this is the worst thing the show has ever done it made me angry steve martin knows better lauren knows better every fucking dude that works on
1: that show knows better they have done things that are edgy they have done things that are that cross lines um but this one crossed far too many lines Even for the time, I don't see why it had to be the crime that it was. And Kevin, you you alluded alluded to that. You mentioned that as well. It's like, could this have worked another way? Um, But that's not our that's not really our job, really, to, to to postulate how it could have worked as much as responding to what they actually did put in front of us. And this is far worse than anyone beating anyone around the stage, or and all this other stuff that we've seen that is just so to the edge. Um, this was a this was a, a really bad sketch on a number of different levels, and you uh, you can go to the edge. Jodie Foster sat on Mister Mike's lap. Uh, you can go to the edge. That's pretty
2: fucked up. I was like, oh, here we go. But you know, there's as horrible it is, as as uh, a sentence this is to say. There was an innocence to it. Not that there's an innocence to Jodie Foster sitting on Michael O'Donoghue's lap, but there is a uh, there. There's not malice
1: there. But I've I've never seen that as edgy. It's so funny because that, to me, was not edgy. I thought it was kind of a little eyebrow raising. I thought she was just playing a kid that was being babysat by Mr. Mike, to be honest. but uh,
2: She's sitting on his lap and he looks like that and he has those glasses (laughs) and there's like a smoke machine.
1: (laughs) It's so funny. You've mentioned that a number of times as being extremely edgy and I'm like, wasn't it just Mr. Mike babysitting? I mean, the weird part is, you know, I would question the parent's character by leaving Mr. Mike with a child, or even Michael O'Donohue with a child for that matter, and now for something completely different. This is Key Punch Confession, and Dan plays a priest. Incidentally, Dan was training in a seminary. Uh, Garrett comes in as a confessor. Garrett has cheated on his wife and broken the sixth and ninth commandments. Dan has a computer that processes how a person can repent from the sins. In Garrett's case, he gets 10 Hail Marys. Garrett also asks that he sent his uh, his lover's husband to Beirut. And while the guy was in Beirut, the hotel got shelled. Um, Garrett gets no penalty for that one. But Garrett does say he has to flee the country and the computer is also and Dan are also able to make flight arrangements. This to me, I mean, I'm going to say I laughed a bit. I thought this was cute and I'm actually surprised that there isn't more like online, come confess to me, I'm a priest, leave a $10 donation to my church and, and you can confess online. Uh, <laughs> people, did, did you not know? I, I uh,
2: routinely have people pay me to tell me dirty things. Online. Okay.
1: <laughs> so I, I uh, based on what we've seen so far, I actually enjoyed this one. I thought it was
2: pretty cute, too. Uh, I, You know, th- that's the perfect description for it. It was pretty funny. <laughs> I did get a good laugh when the computer generated the exact amount of Hail Marys for the <laughs> city. Uh, there's humor there. I thought it might have been a little long. It could have been sharper. The writing could have been tighter. But, you know, coulda, shoulda, woulda. That's not why we're here. This is what they showed us. What they showed us was a sketch that I thought was slightly bloated. Dan doesn't seem very interested in his business this episode. I don't know if it's just me. You picking this up? Is Dan tuned out a little bit? No,
1: I thought he was. I thought he was all in for this one. Okay. Uh, maybe it might have been him, like thinking this could have been my life had I not. Oh, maybe. No. Yeah. You know, when I was in
2: the fourth grade, we uh, the teacher went around the class and said, "What do you want to be when you grow up?" And when she got to me, I said, "A priest," and everybody laughed at me. And I was, I looked at them like all agog. I went to a Holy Cross school. It's a fucking Catholic school, and I was like, "What are you guys laughing at?" <laughs> You're going to need a priest, aren't you? Like, who's going to
0: replace Father Jake over there when he's dead? It's going to be me. It's competent. I wouldn't say cute. I would say more competent myself, only because I don't want to say cute. It's not a word I use. I just, uh, when you started describing the actual computer, that's where I got got more interested because that's, you know, that's my forte. I like computers like that. I would love to have an old computer like that right now in front of me. Um, But uh, I was just kind of wondering where it was going to go. And then we starts making the, uh, you know, the airport reservation, um, I kind of giggled a bit and uh, I thought Garrett was fantastic in this. And I agree. It it felt just a touch too long. Like it, it was on, it was almost on that, that perfect wavelength where if it was just maybe, you know, a couple of lines shorter and they got to the, the end joke a little bit quicker, it could have been like a perfect sketch. But outside of that, it was, it was a kind of a nice wash after, you know, the, the previous sketch there.
2: So interesting to think like, because sometimes, and I know I ca- I catch myself doing it all the time. Like this went on too long, you know, you're left to wonder at some point because TV production is a wild thing. It's not like this is literary art. Like, yeah, sometimes it's going to be fucking too long because you have 90 seconds and you need to pad your shit.
0: Me too. But uh, at the same time, when you're, you know, when you're writing a sketch, um, uh, You know, you want to get to the point of the sketch, you know, like A, B, C, D. You want to make sure that it it comes in ABC instead of ABCD. Like you want it to, you want to get to the punchline quicker, but you also want it to flow naturally. You want, you know, the dialogue to be, you know, punchy. You don't want to have like a full paragraph of nonsense uh, in the middle of a sketch that honestly should be, you know, at most like two minutes when it's five minutes.
1: Mm. See, I, I, and I'm rarely... Like the the length of the sketch rarely plays in with me. I've probably mentioned that less than anyone on who's who's done the show. I don't know. I'm also a fan of the slow build, which so few can do well. And I mean, I don't think of this sketch as necessarily a slow build sketch. It's interesting. To, I, I've never timed the sketches and maybe I should do that just to see if there's a sort of a sweet spot for most people. Um, so our next bit on our version and on most versions that are out there, they, for some stupid reason, re-air the, uh, the Beatles offer that Lauren made, the second Beatles offer that Lauren made in season one. Um, I don't know if this was just filler that they put in at the time, um, but I don't think, I think in the original version, there was something else here, but yeah, we see the Beatles offer again. So, I mean, I don't want to talk about it any longer than I have, if you guys just want to jump. All right, we now go to great moments in rock and roll. And it's uh, Lorraine as Alice Sloan. And it doesn't say this anywhere, but I suspect this is the same Alice that was in the, the Fran Tarkenton episode. Do you remember that, Matt?
2: Yeah, I do. Is she not playing uh, Cynthia Plastercaster? No, she's Alice Sloan. What am I thinking of? Does not does she not go on to play her in this sketch? I don't think so. She mentions the words Plastercaster. And Cynthia Plastercaster is a famous groupie. Okay, from the era, so I think maybe this is maybe this is a situation where she's playing Cynthia Plastercaster, but they're not using the name uh, because she definitely said
1: Plastercaster. Who is that? I mean, it's a Kiss song. Okay, she hosts a show called Great Moments in Rock and Roll, and in this case, she's throwing back to 1964 when she was dating Roy Orbison, who allegedly fled L.A. and went back to Memphis to get away from her. Roy Orbison is played by John Belushi, and they they keep talking about how he stood perfectly still and wore dark glasses. And uh, this is the story, kind of how Alice got Roy's shades. Belushi's Roy Orbison's not good not great i should say it's okay the singing voice is all right but uh the uh the, the speaking voice is way off this uh i don't know I'm a, I'm a roy orbison fan i don't see this as like disrespectful to roy orbison by any means but i just didn't like this i thought it was uh it was not going anywhere i like lorraine's voice and i, I kind of like belushi's look as roy but just to have him standing still and falling over without moving and all this foolishness it's uh uh, it was a bad sketch.
2: I thought it was going to be really cool because I thought it was going to be a sketch about Lorraine talking about cool music. And then they went in a totally different direction and I was despondent. What a missed opportunity. Having Lorraine be a ca- this character and talking about rock
0: music of the time, that's money. Yeah, I like this. I don't care how stupid it was. <laughs> I, I... I, I like stupid, um, like physical humor and like that. The preamble, like the way he was as Roy Orbison. Yeah, I, I I like Roy Orbison. My parents were big fans of listening to his music various hours of the night for some strange reason. I assume like when he took off the sunglasses and had another pair of sunglasses underneath it, like it's stupid stuff like that that really gets to me like I legitimately laughed. Just his his practice, like how he moved around and fell over and so forth. I just thought that was like stupid, funny, fun. Sometimes I enjoy that. Sometimes it's what I want. But the whole setup and everything for it, it just kind of went off the rails and didn't really make a lot of sense. Like (laughs) he sang the entire song. Why? You know, you, you still could have had that whole set piece with him being the wooden man and not have to do the entire song. You know, it could have ended a little bit sooner. Yeah, But, you know, it was it was a waste of Lorraine entirely because, you know, they could have brought her back to kind of, you know, wistfully dream about how that meeting was whatever it was and kind of add something better to the end of it as a punchline. But it is what it is. She really got lost, didn't she? Like
1: she became incidental very quickly.
0: And the way it opened where, you know, she's talking about I need to talk about this before the lewds kick in. I thought that was hilarious. And I was like, OK, this is going to be a great sketch. And then. That happened. And I'm like. You know, you, you could have kept that the John Belushi part a little bit smaller and then went back to her doing something else. It You know, it could have work again. It's not we're not talking about how it could have worked. We're talking about how it worked mm-hmm. right now. And um, yeah, again, it was it was funny, stupid laughs, which is sometimes that's what you want. But again, I, I laughed in that other sketch, but I was uncomfortable with it. the The, the courtroom sketch. And that's why I laughed. So maybe that's just a defense mechanism
1: I deal with for uncomfortable situations. Who's to say? Um, We now go to the Franken and Davis show. So Franken and Davis come out and do their standard bit in front of the curtain that they they usually do. They talk about their comedy team a bit. They bring up Jane as herself, say she's playing Anita Bryant in tonight's sketch. So this is kind of an official like intro for a sketch. Jane says she's a fan of Bryant, and uh, uh, they were once lovers. Uh, Anita Bryant is hosting the 1978 Mr. America pageant, or Mr. USA pageant. I forget what it's called. Davis and Frank come out in red briefs. Davis is Mr. California. Frank is Mr. Arkansas. Both look absolutely ridiculous, but in a great way. Uh, Frank... They do the uh, swimsuit section, and then they go on to do a uh, talent section, which involves Al Franken elbowing a football tackling dummy to the tune of High Hopes. And then Davis in a black leotard dances in some sort of ballet manner to some woodwind music. They then do an intelligence bit where uh, Bryant asks Franken, uh, mentions Franken's brother was injured. He's shocked. She realizes she mixed him up. They're asked some questions, which they answer very quickly. And uh, then Steve Martin comes out as the current reign for his final walk as as the uh, title holder. So that's basically the sketch. It's, it is it is long, but after two years of pretty much shitting on these guys for their on-air stuff, though I've loved a lot of the writing, I really liked this. I laughed through the whole friggin' thing. It was ridiculous as hell from start to start to end uh franken and davis were all in they had me laughing my head off i know we see this male pageant thing over and over again in different things but this one uh really hit (laughs) just the ridiculousness of it hit me hard as a first sketch from franken and davis as featured players they they excelled what i expected i i thoroughly enjoyed this
2: super fun concept amazing title card great chemistry obviously between them and you know i'd say it but i'd say it about anybody else so i'll say it about him al franken's got a tight little body good for him a little hottie he was great in it and david the the, the ballet part oh my god that was almost like too on the nose good like i think i was just I think I just enjoyed it enjoyed it you know what I mean I just enjoyed it <laughs> not even not even on this level where I'm supposed to find
0: it funny because he's silly he was just graceful
2: and beautiful this
0: was uh fantastic fantastic I loved it so I know my usual note for most of the sketches as you watch Saturday Night Live is is, is the length of time but the way that they had kind of a, a title card and an end card and so forth um kind of disassociates that from the rest of the show, even though it's part of the show. Um, mm-hmm. I really enjoyed this. I enjoyed it a lot. Chemistry between everybody, like Jane Curtin was fantastic. Great use of her. I, I felt like she didn't have so much to do uh, this episode. And then she finally gets to go and have fun because that's what this was. It was a fun sketch. It felt like uh, everybody involved got to, you know, enjoy being on the show tonight, considering some of the sketches we've seen. Um, it was a huge highlight for me. I absolutely loved it. Elbowing into in, into the mat, like, so stupid, but yet it was so, <laughs> so funny. And yeah, Al Franken, yeah, you know what? Completely fuckable, 100%. Oh
1: man, what a booty. The, that booty was bouncy. Uh, we then go on to Jackson Brown's The Pretender. Yeah, I, I mean, this, this was further from what I'd like to see than the first song, which I did enjoy. Um, it's more reminiscent of the stuff that we saw a bit of last year, uh, quite a lot of actually, and, and it, it you know, it was passable music. It is like the Ry Cooter stuff, Kevin. You were here for that. Um but uh yeah, so the Pretender released in May of 77, album of the same name, peaked, I think 58 or something. It wasn't I still hear it every now and then. This was what it was, but it's 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 a it's a big meh for me. Uh
2: it's I mean, I can't say anything
0: that hasn't been said.
2: Uh, <laughs> what
1: a fucking laugh.
0: This
2: is the comedy.
0: I don't hate the song. I'll say that. But it it just seemed very, again, muted. It, it, I know it's his last musical number of the night, and then we don't have a lot more until the show's over. But like, you know, this is what you'd play to close the bar kind of thing. You know, like it, it just didn't have a lot of energy to it, which I thought was, you know, obviously this is his, his big song at the time. This is what people want to listen to that enjoys music. But, you know, we're coming to the end of our late night comedy show. Maybe you want to have something with a little bit more energy to kind of get people more excited and, you know, want to come back and see the show next, next
1: week. Our next bit is the Chrome Mega 3. And as mentioned, this appears early in some versions. It's a Japanese watch that's so complex. It takes two people to make it work properly. Watches like this were kind of around. I mean, it never took two people, but I do remember very complex watches before (laughs) watches started. Even still, I didn't overly like this, but for what it was, it was, it was filler at the end of the night for me.
2: Yeah, what's to say? They, uh, they're they not hot with the commercial parodies for me. They did the credit card one and this one. And there was, uh, what was that other one in the middle? The circumcising the baby in the car. Yeah, yeah. I didn't really love that one either. I know you guys liked it. Anyway,
0: strike three for me tonight. You're out. It's a watch commercial and you get
1: a chuckle and then it's over. Uh, And Chuckle is being extremely generous to it. Finally, from the uh, good nights, this is just nice and friendly good nights. Everyone is seems happy to be back in the what is Dan doing during the uh, good nights? He actually shakes an audience member's hand and then walks away. Let's wrap this up with our, uh, our ratings and reviews. So rating the host. So I thought Steve Martin's monologue was pretty darn good. And uh, in most of his appearances, he did fine. He definitely disappeared after that courtroom sketch. Top heavy night for Martin. This was, I mean, Steve Martin, we know he's done some pretty good stuff and will go on to do some pretty good stuff. But uh, this is not his best episode by any means. Oh,
2: his worst by a country mile! Like they shouldn't have even given him the five timers jacket. This should be stricken from the record.
0: I obviously agree with you on the, the monologue, Keith. I really enjoyed his monologue. I thought it was, you know, that was fun. As I mentioned before, he just didn't seem to be too interested past way, like past the halfway point of the show uh, and and being in the show. Yeah, he, he could have done better. Is what I'm. Is what I'm trying to get to. He could
1: have done a lot better. Yeah, and he did. He he did and will. You know, so music. Uh, maybe this is too close to what Matt's thoughts are, but it's exactly what you'd expect from Jackson Brown. For me, running on empty was good. Pretender was fine, but not for me.
0: Just not great. I like the artist. I like the music he has. It's just much like Matt says in most of the uh, lives of music, it just doesn't fit the the show. It's 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 not the kind of music that you would tie into, you know, a bunch of young comedians you know, entertaining you on a late night Saturday television show. I can't
2: believe this is how you open the season. They, we know, they know Mm -hmm. we have, you know, we have the evidence. We have Lily Tomlin in the limo. I refuse to believe that they don't have access to cool people. I mean, the only thing dude is remembered for is running on empty and maybe that haircut.
1: All right. Now, this is uh, this is pure formality, because I have to do it at the end of every episode for it to be legally binding in my stats. But uh, what was the worst sketch of the night, fellows? Come on. Come on. Come on. I'm not even answering that. You
2: know
0: what it was. I. Oh, still mad.
1: I think we already know. I think we know what it was. Yeah. Mike McMack is the uh, worst (laughs) sketch of the night. I will say, however, there was a a extreme disappointment for weekend update tonight. I got to tell you, fellas, this next one intrigues me because I don't know where we're going to go with this. I I have a, a sense and I'll be surprised if that's not how it turns out. But what was the best sketch of the night? Franken and Davis.
2: Oh wow, that the, their whole show, their shtick—they both were great. I loved it on a comedic level, and sometimes I just loved it on a fucking performance level. And I loved Al Franken's
0: hot little body. Originally, I was going to say the the Royal Deluxe too, but that's only because I, you know, I can't resist a good circumcision joke. But at the same time, <laughs> um, yeah, Franken and Davis was uh, it was it was really good. It was a great way to end the show. Um, even though you start the musical act and the the stupid watch commercial, I for me the show ended at the end of that sketch.
1: For me, um, part of me wanted to give the love to the the Festruck brothers, but it's not where it has to. It's not where it gets to be yet. Um, and I just couldn't not love Franken and Davis tonight, giving it uh, giving it another sweep. This one, uh, it was just too ridiculous and too well done to not love. To be honest with you, it was it was really nice in a way, you know, knowing that Franken and Davis joined as two young two young writers. And so we're, they're two seasons in. They've proven themselves. They're kind of part of the cast now. They were the stars of this sketch. And your Ackroyds and Bill Murrays were, were extras who didn't even speak, you know, who held Franken's football thing as, as, as he punched it. So it's kind of nice to see that sort of evolution in the show already and being done well. So who's your star of the night, fellas? It's got to be
2: Dan, because he's the only one that made me laugh. And even for him, I thought it was a weak night. But I, you know, I liked him in the the uh, the confessional. And he was, you know, the Carter is fine. I mean, it was just fine, but like I said, it lacked a a weird malevolence that I saw from it in season two. I don't wonder if that was a choice or he's just having an off week. I guess I'll just stay tuned.
0: Uh, For me, it was between Dan Aykroyd and and, and Belushi uh, only because I kind of liked what he he was the saving grace for that. Not great weekend update And I just like kind of like his character actions, but he wasn't in a lot of the show to kind of give it to him. Um, so I'm going to say Dan Aykroyd as well. I enjoyed the confessional sketch. The, the Royal Deluxe 2 sketch was also fantastic. Anything he was in, uh, you know, he, he had a lot of energy into it, even though he kind of was mostly walking through parts of the show, but you can tell when he found a part that he enjoyed, you know, he kind of went all
1: into it. Everyone had bits and honestly, nobody really nailed it tonight. Dan was close, but he also had stuff that really didn't work who made me laugh the most based on what they did and it comes down to franken or davis and i just got to give a little extra nod to al franken he was extra funny ex- extra ridiculous the look on his face uh, he had the uh, the teethy smile by a uh, by a hair i suppose i went with uh, franken over davis so i'm giving mine to al franken
2: dude can i change my answer so help me, if I saw this show independently of any other Saturday Night Live show, the only thing I would follow up on is Franken and Davis. Because, mm-hmm. uh, first of all, it was, it's funny to see Franken do such a weird character, too. This is such a... Something unlike him. And he's not he's not a great actor, but he's a fine <laughs> comedic actor. He pulls off the voice. You know, he would have imagine him doing that in a like a cartoon, like a family guy or something. You would have killed it. Yes. Uh yes. and you know, you can still kill it. Uh they did him dirty politically. I digress. Al Franken is my choice over Dan
1: Aykroyd for star of this show. So we have two for uh two for Franken, one for Aykroyd. So Considering programming or not, there's two ways to look at a season premiere. On one hand, they've had three months off, and you think they'd you know be thinking about it and writing in their notebooks, and maybe even working on little bits that uh, they could do in September. The other way is they're they've earned their break and they're on it. And they need a few weeks to get back into the swing of it. This was definitely one of the latter. Nobody really seemed to be into this the way they have been up to this point. The material was not great there were a few bits that were strong the festruck brothers franken and davis the deluxe two and the priest bit were the only thing i things i would say were good on this i did not like weekend update hated the new set that really stuck with me the whole time i missed that brick thing and i'm gonna miss that forever i still miss that today Orbison was not good. The Crow mega 3 was not great. The Cold Open was a non-issue. And Mike McMack was the most hideous thing I've seen on the show to date. The host was good at the beginning and then completely absent. The music was a non-entity to me. I'm going with slightly below average on this one. I was disappointed in it, and as we've talked about it, I've gotten a little more disappointed. I'm going with a 6 out of 10 for this one, which is not bottom of the barrel for me, but far less than a season premiere hosted by Steve Martin should be.
2: This episode sucks. The cold open sucked. Steve Martin sucked in it. Jackson Brown sucks. Uh, There is very little effort in the way of writing. You know, I was I was a teenager in the 90s. Sorry to say sucks so much. It takes two weirdo writers getting airtime for me to enjoy this episode really at all disappointments include Dan Aykroyd, who just doesn't want to be here this week. I don't know what the fuck. Uh, Bill Murray, who is just trying too hard when he's on screen and he's not nailing it. Jane Curtin, neutered to within within an inch of her life. Back to just being a season one, episode one, boring, straight character. Three, three out of ten for this waste of my time and the time of our thousands.
0: Yes, it's a season premiere. Yes, they've had time off. Uh, They're kind of blowing the rust off them um, from being off for so long. Um, But at the same time, I still expect more because they've been doing it for two seasons. So for me, a lot of points are lost to that lawyer sketch, like whatever you want to call it.
1: Uh, I'm giving it a four. So with uh, my six, Kevin's four and Matt's three, we average at a 4.3, significantly lower than the IMDb's 7.5. Um, number wise, this episode finishes ninth in this season. This season has 20 episodes. So they, they give this one a middle of the road grade and put it at 146th to date. I hate to assume that people are just seeing the host name and giving it a good grade because, uh, this was a, this was a really bad episode. I thought. So next week it's a new day. Everybody's, uh, you know, we can press uh, a bit of a refresh button. Matt, do you know who the host is next week? I don't. It's Madeline Kahn. Okay. And her musical guest is Taj Mahal. Who the fuck is that? It's not Jackson Brown. Kevin, it was an absolute treat having you here again. It was, Kevin. It really was. We get to see you later in the year, actually, for uh, episode 17.
0: Well, I look forward to it, and hopefully I'll have things to uh, plug next time I'm here.
1: Yes, yes. Please keep us posted there. So, uh, Matt and I will be back in about a week with Madeline Kahn, Taj Mahal, and our third chair, Mark. But until then, we'll be disappointed at the beginning of Season 3, here in SN Hell.